Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 20? And we've come to verse 27. And I don't have an outline for this one today. This, this, this is one of those passages that, you know, just let it say what it says. We need to do that anyway. So we're going to go through it together. Now remember, this is probably Wednesday. If you want to take yourself back to the week, the last week of Christ's life. This is probably Wednesday before he is to be crucified on Friday. This is the last time he will meet with the religious leaders of the Jews. This is his last meeting. We've seen other meetings, the elders and the scribes. This is his last meeting. Now he's spending all of his time teaching. We've already seen this and we've studied the scriptures and we know what he was teaching so he had, uh, as you know, he had turned over, he had kicked out the money changers and he had disrupted uh, the temple operation. And that upset the Sadducees because the Sadducees had a big financial investment in what was going on in the temple. So they are the last ones to come and they're trying to discredit him because of the masses who are listening to him and are hooked on every word of his teaching. They're, they're somewhat afraid of the people. So they're trying to discredit him in other ways. We saw that last time, but now this group is trying to as well. So let's look at it. Then some of the Sadducees, Sadducees. What's a Sadducee? Well, it's one of the sect of... Uh, Jewish leaders in the time of Christ, they date back to the mid, the mid 100s BC. They just somehow arose as a, an influential group. Whenever you see the term or the phrase high priests in the New Testament, it's always Sadducees. The Sadducees and you can see this again in Acts, what, chapter 23 or 27, somewhere. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a spirit. They didn't believe in angels. The only part of the Bible they believed were the books of Moses, the Torah. Everything else to them was an uninspired human commentary on what Moses had written. So everything outside... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all, anything outside of that didn't mean anything to them. Now you think, well, these were kind of liberal guys. They didn't believe in an afterlife and all that. Well, actually they were in that sense, I guess, liberal theologians, but in another sense they were very fundamentalist because they hung on every jot and tittle of the book of Moses this was extraordinarily fundamental and important to them, and nothing else mattered. And so they, they, uh, they, they did not believe that spiritual life, anything like that, or, or an afterlife or resurrection, from, from their manner of looking at it, they didn't see that any of that was taught in the book of Moses. So... Since they didn't believe in anything after this life, they spent this life getting all that they could. 
and they get where they would gather to themselves wealth and power. So it's interesting how the high priests uh, were all Sadducees. It's interesting. We, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the money that came into the temple from the people, how they had a racket going. You know, they could, uh, they would sell pre-approved sacrifices for exorbitant prices. You'd have to change your money into temple money and they would charge 25% interest. I mean, it was just awful the way they mistreated the people. The people didn't like the Sadducees, but people couldn't do anything about it. The Sadducees were close, closely allied to the Roman authority within the area. So they wanted to do the bidding of Rome and Rome would let them get away with whatever pretty much they wanted to do. So that tells you about the Sadducees. Their name comes from Tzadok. Tzadok was the he was the chief priest, he was the high priest in the time of uh, David and Solomon, Tzadok. So their name comes from Tzadok, they call themselves Sadducees, transliterated through the Greek into the English. So here it is. Some of the Sadducees having approached him, those denying a resurrection that there is not one, they questioned him saying, teacher, Moses wrote, now this is the only part of the Bible they're going to go with. Moses wrote to us, if anyone's brother having a wife should die and is childless, that his brother should take the wife and should raise up seed to his brother. That goes back to the, uh, the leveret marriage of Deuteronomy 25. Uh, there was, there's an actual example of it uh, in Genesis, but uh, it, was, it was given as part of Mosaic law in uh, Deuteronomy. So this is their favorite. This is how they would... This is how they tied up the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in all of the Old Testament like we do, like Christ did. They had it divided into three parts. They had the, they had the, uh, the taught of the law and the prophets and the scriptures or the writings. And those three divisions made up all of the 39 books of the Old Testament. So the Pharisees would get into wild debates, but they never could answer. This was, this was, their, this was their main shot. This was their, this was their baby right here, this question, because they couldn't find anybody to answer this question. The Pharisees had strains. They believed in a resurrection, but they got into debates among themselves. You know, when we were raised from the dead, are we in the same clothes that we were buried in? Will we have the same defects physically when we were raised? Um, We'll, we'll, if, if our clothes have rotted along with our, with our bodies and we're raised up again, are we going to be naked in the resurrection? These are actually some questions that I have seen uh, written in, in their archives that they actually debated about the, about the resurrection. So they would get into lively debates with Sadducees about the resurrection. And this was the question that the Pharisees could never really answer. Okay. Here's a guy, has a wife, dies, has no children. Now this is very important because it was written by Moses in a time when they are headed to the promised land. Everybody had a piece of that land. Everybody did. Your piece of the land was very important because this is what God gave you. And you would have to leave that to your, to your children. So if you die, you had a wife, you didn't have any children, who's going to, it wouldn't be right. You had to, somebody had to get your land. Don't let your children 
miss out on the land just because you happen to die. Okay, so dies childless. And the Leverett marriage law was that his brother, his next brother, should take that man's wife and have children by her. And legally, those children would be that dead brother's children. So they would get his inheritance in the land. Well, this goes on. Therefore, there were seven brothers. The first, having taken a wife, died childless. The second, the third took her. Then likewise, also the seven. But they didn't leave any children with her, and they all died. The woman, therefore, whose wife does she become in the resurrection? For the seven all had her as a wife. She's going to get up on getting up morning. And those other seven guys are going to get up on getting up morning. And there's going to be seven guys and one woman. What you going to do? Well, we're about to get a great lesson in how to study the Bible from Jesus himself, son of God. Now, I'm going back. I'm leaving Luke briefly to go back to Matthew 22. This is Matthew's account of what we're studying in Luke right here. But Matthew starts it out like this. He answers the Sadducees here. Jesus answering them said, You err, not knowing the Scriptures and not knowing the power of God. Now, this is God in the flesh. God, the Son, has voluntarily left the great realm of the Godhead. We can't describe it, can't think anything about it. Accommodated himself to the time-space continuum, but he's God walking with men. And here is what God the Son says to the Sadducees. Now that word, er, up there in the Greek Planeste. We got our word planet from that word. A planet. When the ancients would study the sky, they would notice that most of the stars were fixed, but some of the stars were wandering. They would move. They'd look at the next night, and that star had moved a little bit. They called them planets, wandering stars. So Jesus uses the word. He says, you're all over the place. You're wandering around. You're wandering away from reality. And here's why. Two reasons that you ask such a foolish question. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. Number two, you don't know the power of God. God can raise up anybody he wants to. Right out of the dead. And the scriptures, even in the law of Moses, I'm not going to go there today, but the scriptures, we, we will briefly, we'll show one little piece of it. The scriptures also reveal something that for some reason you've wandered away from. These two reasons. Now that's how Matthew starts out this, uh, this occasion. Now we're back to Luke. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage 
But those having been considered worthy to obtain the age, that which is to come, and the resurrection which is out from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither are they able to die anymore, for they are like the angels, and they are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Christ references two ages here. I don't know how many ages there are, but Christ references two, two that would be applicable at the moment to those to whom he's speaking. This age, the age in which we live, and the age which is to come. Now here's what Christ says. The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. He goes on down there and says, they're not able to die anymore, but you're able to die. Now you're going to die now. You're dying. I'm dying. We're all dying physically. In this age, this age is an age that replenishes itself. I have four children. I have eight grandchildren. You, many of you have children. Many of you have grandchildren. Some of you maybe have great-grandchildren. This procreation, it just goes on from generation to generation. That is what happens in this age. Well, what is involved with that? Well, uh, procreation involves uh, people coming together in marriage. And it, it involves this, this, uh, the, the, the sexual activity and the love and the bringing up of children. And the joy of the next generation growing up in your lap and, and doing all of the things that you, in this generation. This, these are the things that belong to this age. What belongs to this age? Well, marriage belongs to this age. Procreation and all that's involved with procreation belongs to this age. Generations, you will die, but the next generation is left behind and they'll grow up. That all belongs to this age. This age. But there is an age that's coming. Which is the age when there is a resurrection out from the dead. In that age, there's no need for marriage. Why? Because there is no procreation. Now, I know what you're thinking. But don't worry about it. It'll be better. God knows these things. Okay. Those things now, generational things, graveyards, birthing in the hospital, uh, those things belong to this age, but not to that age. That age, the age of the resurrection, is an age where you're not able to die anymore. There won't be any procreation. There's no need for it. Why? Because you're like the angels. Here's what that means. That means that you'll be a fixed number. I don't know how many. I don't know how many angels there are. More than I could count, I'm sure. There'll be a fixed You know, one thing about the return of Christ, we read in the Bible that says, you know, 
the, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's coming a day when the last person who's going to be saved will be saved. God knows that number. I don't know that number. God's taken care of it. But we'll be like the angels. There'll be no need for procreation. Because there won't be any, won't be any birthing. There won't be any dying. Not able to die anymore. Why? Because God has given you the very life of God. Sons of God. Being sons of the resurrection. How about that? That age is different from this age. And what did Jesus say? He said, look, you're idiots. You're all over the place. You don't know the scriptures. And you certainly, certainly don't know or appreciate the power of God. Because there is another age that is yet to come. However, now, here, now this is what I love. Jesus teaches the Bible by plenary verbal truth or inspiration and by exegesis. You come across something that's kind of confusing. Man, I don't know. You just go to the language. This is what Jesus does here, okay? Even Moses revealed at the bush, the burning bush, that the dead are raised because of the language that God used that Moses recorded. Here it is. When he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob... Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Put that another way. Because to him, those guys are still living. You don't see them. I don't see them, but they're alive to God. They are where God wants them to be, and they're alive and well. To him... They're alive because he's a God of the living. Now, where does this come? It comes from Exodus 3. I'm going to look at it here. I've transliterated the Hebrew up there, except for the first phrase. And he said, now this is the great God Almighty, God. Here's what God said. I am being the God of your father. Elhi Avraham, God of Abraham. Elhi Yitzhak, God of Isaac. Velhi Yaakob, God of Jacob. Now it all kind of hangs on that Anachi. Right up, right up there. I am being. <laughs> I studied this for two weeks. Listen to me. To Yahweh, there is no I was. 
It's just I am. Now that transfers to the people of God. I am being the God of your father. I am being the God of Abraham. I am being the God of Isaac. I am being the God of Jacob. Now here's the part of the Bible that they hung on to, the Torah. Torah, Exodus. And Jesus says, you don't even know the scriptures. See, a lot of people that way, they won't just take it for what it says. They just kind of interject something in there that they think it ought to say. Just take it for what it says in its original text. Christ now referencing Exodus 3 says to them, here's what Moses did. He calls Yahweh the God. So you see, it, it is a continual present. He keeps on being. It's, it's, God doesn't consider Abraham dead and gone, inaccessible. Nor does he consider Isaac that way, nor Jacob, because he's not a God of the dead. What glory comes to God if that's all there is to it? So then, Christ carefully takes them back to their own scriptures, utilizing plenary verbal inspiration and correct and appropriate exegesis. I am being the Word of God. Word of God, listen to me. It's given to us, and it's interesting to me that the classic Hebrew of the Old Testament was frozen in time. Modern Hebrew is not the same as classic Hebrew. Koine Greek was frozen in time. It's not the same as modern Greek, not the same as Byzantine Greek, not the same as classic Greek, or yada, yada, yada. These are Bible languages. These languages were raised up at a certain period of time. The Word of God was given those languages to man. They died as being an active language, but they're frozen in time. So you can't argue with, with tense or mood or, or anything else that, that the Bible gives to us. That's the way it is. And it hasn't changed, and it won't change. The Lord Christ said that it wouldn't change. So Christ takes them back. To their own scriptures, and he says, You know, you're straying, you're straying from reality. You're wandering from reality. You don't even know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. God, in his power, was still in the presence of a living Abraham, and a living Isaac, and a living Jacob. Thus it is with those who have died in Christ. They're alive. They're outfitted. We learn more in the New Testament about it. They're outfitted in the intermediate state. And they're awaiting their resurrection on their side. And the second coming of Christ, just like we are on our side. They are to God. They're alive. 
It's another, it's another realm. We don't see it because we're not there. We're in this age. But then when those, including Abraham, Isaac, when they're all resurrected in that age, there's no more need for the things which were needful in this age. That's how God has planned it. So, what can they do? It's the only time anybody ever answered their riddle. Jesus essentially says, what makes you even think they're going to need a wife like that? Or that she's going to need a husband like that? That's another age. It's the age of the resurrection. It's the age of glorification. Oh, don't we long for it. You know, everything that's wrong with you and me hangs on this old body of death. Hangs on. Lust, greed, covetousness, jealousy, anger. Those things that Paul says, those things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing, Romans 7. Talks about who will deliver me from this body of death. That's how we are. It's because your nasty body. <laughs> that can get four inches shorter before the resurrection. Because it's dying. But all that stuff is dropped. It is dropped down to where it came from. In the glorification. None of that is a part of you anymore in the glorification and the resurrection. It's just not a part of you. It can't stick to you. Man, you are a, you're a spiritually Teflon, I guess. It's just going to slide off. It won't be around to slide off. It's going to be gone. It'll be a different age. Another thing. So what do they say? Now answering some of the scribes. Now the scribes are the guys who spent their lives copying the Bible. If anybody knew the Bible, these guys did because that's all they did. They wrote it down. They had a special way. They had to wear special clothes. They had to use special kind of paper and special pen, special ink. And that's all they did all day long. Book after book of the Bible. Make it available to people. They spent their lives doing it. This is what they did. The very ones who would have known the Bible better than anyone else and answering him, some of the scribes said, Teacher, you have spoken well. They knew. Exodus 3 and verse 6 said, Anochi. They knew that. No telling how many dozens of times they'd written it. You have spoken well. Because for all the times I have copied the book of Exodus, <laughs> that word has never changed. I still copy the same thing. It's been that way ever since the time God said it and Moses wrote it. It hadn't changed a bit. You have spoken well. Then no longer did they dare to ask him 
anything. They gave it their best shot. The Pharisees, the elders, the, all the leaders, they all gave it their best shot. You know, you don't spit in the wind, you don't tug on Superman's cape, and you don't argue scripture with God. You just take it like it is. I thank God in heaven that I'm a son of the resurrection. He gave them a warning over here. And I'm going to close with this. Look at those having been considered worthy. In other words, you guys ain't worthy. You don't believe in a resurrection. You don't, you don't believe that God has to give you the life for the resurrection. You think you take your own life and use your own life, declare what you want to declare about your own life. You're not worthy. But those who are considered worthy are sons of God, sons of the resurrection. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners. And according to the Scriptures, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, call on Him to save you. Did you know that God is bound by His precious, holy, perfect Word to save you? In a moment, we'll stand in the act of standing. You come. This is the invitation. If you're here without Christ, and God is calling you to Himself, would you come and share that with me? Let me pray with you. Or maybe you've already done that, but you haven't stepped out in a service like this before men and just by coming forward confessed Christ before men. You come. Finally, maybe you're here, you're already a Christian. But this is where God leads you to come and serve Him in a, with a body of believers at Shiloh. You come, we'll take care of all of the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation as you see fit and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, all right?